Hello and welcome to episode 103. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C., and with me is Nathan Fox in... I am in Los Angeles. Cool. And things are going well? Uh, yeah, just incredibly busy. I've bounced back and forth three times now to San Francisco since I've been back in California. But uh, my first round of San Francisco classes is actually over now. I have a week break. And then I start another new round of classes uh, next weekend. And my LA class will run continuously. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun. It's been been super busy, but uh, I love what I do. So <laughs> I really can't complain about actually having to work once in a while. Yeah, cool. Um, lots of flying. Lots of flying, but it's super easy on Southwest and. Uh, you know, I live so close to LAX that it's, it's really nothing. I mean, that commute to San Francisco is just nothing on the plane. And I've, the whole time I've got my laptop and I've got my shows downloaded on Netflix on my phone. And, you know, I mean, it just time flies. So it's actually really easy. Cool. Well, um, lately we've had a lot of emails and I think we have somewhat of a backlog here. So should we just jump in? Can I... Yeah, but first I want to know if there's any new news on John Roberts. This is the thing I'm more interested in than anything else. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's not a lot of new uh, developments lately. Um, Just uh, working through some of the technical issues. So nothing exciting to report yet. Okay. Nothing like, uh, do we have a tentative uh, launch date? No. So, yeah. But... uh, uh, now that you're asking, I'll make sure to hammer that out before next episode. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a just some sort of a goal date in mind. I mean, we're going to start getting, or you, I shouldn't say we, but I mean, we are both going to get the uh, inquiries of people wanting to apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a good problem to have when you're, a, when you're an up-and-coming law school. So it would be nice to have some sort of a way to get people on the on the list for that or, or something. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine you have pretty high, uh, high criteria for those admission standards though. Yes. It's going to be a small group. So high standards we're, and, uh, we're looking for 170 plus and we're looking for, uh, probably pretty good grades too, unless you can make a really good excuse. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Can't wait to hear more about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. We well, dive in. Um, anything else? Or oh, I just want to thank the listeners for uh, slightly curtailing the wall of text emails to help at thinkingelsat.com. Uh, we do love to hear your your requests, and we did get a few more requests during the week this week, but we got slightly fewer uh, wall of text emails after our complaining about it on the last show. So uh, yeah, thanks for uh, boiling those down a little bit and asking uh, concise questions. We can give you more concise advice when you do that. So uh, help at thinkingelset.com. Get the email to both of us. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, I guess we do have this subscription page that people should know about, thinkingelset.com slash blog slash subscribe if you want to get a newsletter every time uh, the email or every time the show comes out. Of course, if you uh, are a regular podcast listener and you just subscribe to us in iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use, you'll get the episode automatically while you're sleeping. Um, 
<clears throat> but yeah, if you want to, if you want a little note uh, from us, thinkingelset.com slash blog slash subscribe. And that does have Adam's awesome show notes in it, which is, again, our show notes are better than the actual show. So we do have that going for us. <laughs> yeah. First email. Hey guys, I just got back my scores back <clears throat> from the June test and have a couple questions. One, is there any way to sort law schools based on how much they weight LSAT scores versus the rest of your resume? My LSAT score will be the best part of my resume, considering my undergrad record has been pretty spotty. So when I start applying, I want to apply efficiently. Two, my last eight practice tests, I was averaging right around 158. And on test day, I got a 161. Do you think if I outperformed my practice tests, I should take the September LSAT? And would schools think it looked bad if I took the test again and had little or no improvement? Big fan of the pod, really got me started into LSAT studying, and it was good to listen to on my commute for studying purposes and for comic relief. Ted. Thanks, Ted. Ben, you want to handle those questions? Yeah, so the first one, is there any way to sort law schools based on how much they weigh LSAT scores versus the rest of your resume? Uh I don't know about that, although I can say that, yes, in general, law schools in the top echelon are going to give more weight to your GPA than your LSAT score. And below that, below the top 14 or 15 schools, it tends to switch, and then they give more weight to your LSAT score than your GPA. Granted, it's not much different, and it varies a little bit from school to school, but when you think about your LSAT score versus the rest of your resume, um, I my guess would be that it's actually kind of similar to the GPA thing. I think once you get a very high LSAT score, then the rest of your resume is going to matter more for the top schools because they're distinguishing their applicants on the basis of that. But that's in this that's assuming that you already have a high score. So I don't know, I. That's how I would think about it. I, yeah, you could go and dig up those index calculation, you know, all the index formulas, right? Mm -hmm. And you could, you could do the analysis on who weights LSAT score more heavily. I would not do that. I would just Google LSAT GPA calculator and I would use the tool on the LSAT website to put in an LSAT score and put in a GPA and then figure out what your chances are at a whole bunch of schools at once. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't know that there's any point in specifically digging out which schools have more heavily weight LSAT. I think if you just put in your numbers and the, the calculator will spit back, well, you've got a 25% chance at this school and you've got a 75% chance at that school. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then just let that be your guide. Yeah. Okay. So LSAT GPA calculator is the magic search phrase and you will get a imperfect, but uh, very useful tool for figuring out what kinds of schools give you what kinds of chances of admission. Yeah. One other thing to keep in mind is that some schools don't participate in providing LSAC, uh, the relevant data. So they're not in that search result, but you can just find similar schools, similarly ranked schools and assume that they probably have similar probability of getting in yeah close enough close enough yeah 
it's all estimating anyway. So it doesn't need to be that scientific because I mean, we want you applying to 10 or 15 or 20 law schools anyway. Um, so that you can give yourself lots of negotiating leverage. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that there's that much point in being trying to get super scientific or cut it super fine. Um, you know, you just want to pick out a bunch of targets, especially you want to pick out some that are probably going to give you significant scholarship money. Uh, on the LSAT GPA calculator, those would be the schools that show you with a 75% chance or greater of getting in, right? If you're like a shoe in to get in, then they are very likely to offer you scholarship money as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a stretch, if you're you know only 25% chance to get in, then they're probably not going to offer you any money at all. Uh, but it might you might decide that it's worth it if it's a really great law school or if there's some other reasons why you want to go to that school and pay full price. Um, it's possible. But we just want you to apply to a, a wide range of schools so that you can give yourself all kinds of options. Yeah. So this next question, my last eight prep tests was I was averaging around 158 and they got a 161 on test day. That's like, that's exciting. But it means that he should not take the test in September unless he can somehow bring his practice test scores up um, at least to a 161, ideally higher. The, the higher your average goes, the more likely it is that you should retake it. Um, but until the average gets close to 161, I would count yourself lucky and keep that score and apply with that instead of taking the test in September. Of course, you won't know until you start taking practice tests, so maybe you should consider uh, preparing, uh, taking tests, and see if you can bring your test scores up, Uh, but yeah, it just depends on what you do with that. Yeah, I mean, if he took a practice test today and scored a 164, I would be pretty much like absolutely take the test. Mm -hmm. For sure. Right. So it only takes a couple data points higher than 161 to justify it. But if his data points are all clustered around 158 and he's not really cracking 161, then it's just magical thinking to think he's going to go in there on the next actual test and do better than 161. Yeah. So let your practice tests be your guide there. And if you can get a few points higher on the PTs, then why not take the test in September? Um, Would schools think it looked bad if I took the test again and had little or no improvement? Um, It doesn't help you, but schools really kind of only care about your highest score. So it's not the end of the world if you score another 161 or a point or two lower. It's just why would you do that? if you didn't have a reasonable chance of getting higher, Mm -hmm. the upside is what really matters. But if your practice test scores don't indicate you have upside, then you don't have upside. So then you shouldn't take it. Yep. Okay, cool. Sounds like we covered that. You want to do the next one? Sure. Hi, Ben and Nathan, big fan of the podcast. Train delays suck. Semicolon. Your podcast doesn't. I really like that sentence. Me too. Um, very notice good. that it doesn't have anything to do with it's the train delays comes out of nowhere, right? Yeah. But now we've, we've got this listener just listening on the train. Yeah. At, at a stuck, stuck somewhere delayed <laughs> on the train, either on the train or on a platform. It says so much with so few words. Yeah. And it's, it's very nice. It's parallel. It's just, it's glorious. Isabel, I see a, I see a bright future 
for you. Um, I'm a rising junior who has a bright future and who is planning on taking the LSAT this December. I took a cold diagnostic last month and scored a 160. Oh, I'm not surprised. Since I've been studying LR with Nathan's book, which is awesome, by the way, exclamation point. Thank you very much. And LG with the Power Score Bible. I have done a few timed sections so far and was planning to increase those as the summer progresses. I missed four on reading comp, which I do hope to improve. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, I hope you improve it as well, but that's pretty good. Uh, but it hasn't been my immediate focus. Um, as the re- as at the recommendation of two school friends who increased their scores by more than ten points each, I sat in on a local, not a big prep company, uh, LSAT class last week. I liked the class. I liked the class and do feel that my score would benefit from it. After the class, I emailed the instructor to thank him and say that I planned to register for the fall class. I also asked what prep he'd recommend in the two months between now and October when the class starts. His response, don't study at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what um, that company that should not be named or shall not be named also says. They're like, do not study before you come to our class because we will you will start to develop bad habits. Wow. She continues. I feel like it's like fear mongering, you know? Like Yeah. Yeah. Well also, why don't they give you their magic materials then? Yeah. If they're worried about you So we both do this. I mm-hmm. think Ben, yeah. if you register for my class, I immediately ship you materials. That's exactly right. That's what I do. As I well. want people if you sign up for a class right now that starts in October, I would have you materials within a week. Yep. And I would have assignments for you. I would have a whole bunch of stuff you could start chipping away at because the more you do before the class starts, the more you're going to be able to get out of the class. Yeah. This is some ego bullshit to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't no, Don't until I start guiding you with my magic hand. You can't do any work at all. Come on. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, and again, if you're so magical, then why don't you just give the give some give some books? <laughs> Tell them what to do. Yeah. Oh no, I'd rather you just waste the next 2 months. Sure. Uh, L- <laughs> it's okay. crazy. Like even when people as much as I have take issue with uh some of the books out there, um even when people start studying with those books, when they come in and I say, eh, you know, I wouldn't do it actually that way. I would do it the opposite way. I would do it this other way. And here's why. They understand very quickly why what I'm saying is good advice. They're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, based on my experience with this horrible <laughs> approach, not that they're all horrible out there, but less than ideal approach, um, I can see why this would be more effective at Whereas someone who hasn't done anything at all is just sort of like, okay, sure, whatever you say. Um, and so even I feel like bad experience can be good experience and better than nothing. She goes on, at all? Question mark, exclamation point. Forgive me for overgeneralizing, but isn't studying better than not studying? Yes. He said that he didn't want me to develop bad habits mm-hmm, before learning the proper way to attack questions. 
from his course. She put that in quotes. If anything, he said, work on reading comp. <laughs> Wasn't that her best section? The thing that she already only misses four on, naturally. She's getting 23 points on reading comp, and he's advising her to work on reading comp, not the other sections, which most people can improve more on. <laughs> oh, this guy's killing me. Yeah. I'm sorry for all you out there that have to uh, endure subpar LSAT instructor. <laughs> I get that some prep could be detrimental, like Kaplan or anything else with made-up questions. But even if this instructor's strategies differ slightly from the ones in Nathan's book or the PowerScore book, wouldn't it still be beneficial to gain some familiarity with my weaker two sections? Yes. Isabel, you already know the answer to your questions. I know you guys are also big proponents of timed sections early on. My gut is saying that heading into this course with some timed sections under my belt won't hurt me. Nope, it won't hurt you. It will help you. Thanks again for being voices of reason in such a confusing process. (laughs) Yes, we're here to slay all those turds out there. (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely, don't study before your LSAT class is definitely a turd of wisdom. Yeah. That is really bad advice. Hey, Isabel, why are you still going to take this class? That, that's a terrible, that's terrible advice that you're getting from this instructor. I get that you sat in on a class and you think it could be helpful, but you know, you have other options. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could take Ben's online class. You could take my online class. Uh, I just think you're going to get better help than who, cause who knows? I mean, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but this is, you it's, we're one for one on getting horrible advice from this dude. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it could be everything else he has to say is genius. Or not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we both have options, Isabel, and we would love to help. So you're already kind of on our team. And, you know, we'll continue to, to, to support you and consider you on our team. But if you took one of our classes, you'd be really on our team. Yeah. Um. And I, I don't know. I just I think you're gonna get you're gonna get better help that way. So consider it. Cool. So for you to check it out, go to foxlsat.com forward slash free. Correct. Right? Yep. And if you want to check out my free version of the class, go to strategyprep.com forward slash online. By the way, just do both of those anyway because you're gonna get a whole bunch of free valuable help. Yeah. Even if you have no interest in doing an online class, even if you're already signed up for a class in your local area and you know you're going to do the live class, uh, even if you've got absolutely no budget and just want to get as much free stuff as you possibly can, uh, do my free class. Do Ben's free class. Get started. There's plenty of work there for you to do. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Isabel. Hi there, Nathan and Jason. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right i'm gonna check out for this one and when you're done just let me know uh my name is shane and i don't mind if you use my name and then shane later by the way emailed and said uh that he was mortified that he had put jason there it was just a typo <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how that happened but anyway uh shane has already apologized i'll take jason yeah jason Bourne. Ooh, D- ooh. um 
I know you guys get this a lot, but I'm a little bit of an untraditional student and I'm not sure how I size up as an applicant. I graduated with my first bachelor's degree in 2012 after three years with a 3.48. The degree was a double major in film and communication. In 2015, I graduated with three more bachelors. What the heck? In biology, English, and political science, but with somewhere around a 2.10 GPA. Okay, so so many people write into this show and they're like, oh, my situation is so unique. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No offense, by the way, but most people's situation is not unique. This seems pretty unique. It really does, because uh, if I'm counting correctly, uh, Shane has five bachelor's degrees. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> Film, Shane, what were you, communication, what were you biology, English, and political science. And huh. a 2.10 GPA. I'm really curious what Shane has to say about these five degrees yeah. and why he pursued them. I plan to make it known in my addendum that I had been working 30 plus hours a week on a night shift and ran into some health problems eventually. But I wasn't even sure how schools will look at my GPA considering how unorthodox my academic career has been. Um, you know, your GPA is your GPA is your GPA, at least at first it is. They're going to take your LSAC GPA, which, by the way, we don't know what your LSAC GPA is here. I mean, you need to get yeah. all these transcripts uploaded to the LSAC and then figure out what your GPA is. Because you've got a 3.5 for your first bachelor's. I mean, it's possible that that's the only thing that counts. Yeah, it's almost like they might treat treat the three later ones as extra, kind of like master program. Well, because you can't you can't go back and do extra bachelor's classes to raise your GPA, right? After you've already graduated, I, that's that's what I was. Otherwise, people would be doing that all the time. But here, yeah. I mean, that's a bummer for people who have a lower first GPA. <laughs> but it's pretty good for Shane because Shane had a three point five, which is not horrible, and then just completely shat the bed with a two point one. <laughs> for three more bachelor's degrees. <laughs> for what reason? Who knows? Well, I don't even understand the relationship between these three degrees. I don't either. And I don't understand the relationship between those three and the first two. And I don't understand why you're doing three degrees while working 30 plus hours a week on a night shift and having health problems. I w- well, no, I think the <laughs> health problems were a result Oh, (laughs) yeah, definitely, definitely a possibility there. Um, I got to say, I mean, and Shane, please take this in the spirit in which it's intended. But this paragraph makes you seem like a crazy person. If you like, you got to (laughs) get what was the spirit that was intended? (laughs) It's from (laughs) it's from a place of love for and and that I want I want it to I want it to work out well for Shane. And no, but I mean. Hey, if you're not a good attorney, if you don't tell your client what's wrong with their case, <laughs> right? No, I agree. Okay. Yeah, Shane, this is true. You you need to understand exactly how others are going to view this. Right. So that's all. I I'm, I'm I mean this constructively. You look like a crazy person. You th- this story, you got to get your shit together, and you got to figure out how you're going to spin this to make it make some kind of sense. Because if you show mm-hmm. up with five degrees and a 2.1 in your last three of them, and you were working 30 hours a week, the, the, the committees are just going to be like, whoa, 
we've got so the, it's just high likelihood that you're going to be a pain in the ass for whatever reason, just because you're not, you're, you're so, like a lot of times untraditional can be good, but untraditional where it's just bizarre is like, I would just have, ima- I imagine the schools just being like, you know, we have plenty of other people with bad grades. We don't need to pick out the person with five bachelor's degrees. Like that's not, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's at all a sales, a selling point. Yeah. They're trying to make fast decisions and, um, if your application comes up as a contender because maybe they only look at your first GPA or whatnot or the average of your 3.48 and your 2.1 somehow still <laughs> makes you a contender, um, my guess as a reviewer, at least I would, I would be like, hmm, let's take a look at this person. And I'm like, what the heck is going uh, on here yeah. next? Yeah. It's like if you're at the at a restaurant and you're trying to decide really quickly what to eat and you just yeah. scan and one of them is like grilled cheese. And then the other choice is like bananas, onions, mashed potatoes, uh, <laughs> kale, <laughs> and... Uh, and cherry tomatoes. And you're like, hmm, that could all make sense, but... I didn't want to come in here for a simple grilled and cheese grilled cheese sandwich, but I think I'll go with that. I think I'm going to go with, with the grilled cheese, because this is just it's just too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, it, it, it looks... It starts... Now, Shane, I don't mean this personally, but it starts to seem as if you are a little bit like wild eyed and, and like just that you're ir- or irresponsible or something it's just hard to make sense of it. So you either have to make sense. I mean, you, I think you have to figure out how in your personal statement, you're going to make a clear case for why law school makes sense for you. Um, I don't think bringing up all five of your majors, I, I would actually just not bring it up. I would leave it on the transcripts and like not, I would not start talking about how you have five bachelor's degrees. Well, wait, um, don't you feel like that he has to address this in an addendum somehow? Ad- he's got to, he's got to take control of the, the spin. Cause like right now he's the next paragraph talks about his LSAT score, right? And his LSAT prep. Yes. In the back of my mind, I'm still thinking, why the hell did you take these so many majors? Why, why, why did you seek out all these degrees? Like, I'm so confused. Yeah. So I would want at least something. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately it's like, cause you could totally come with like, well, I'm a polymath and I just find all of these things fascinating. And I was at university where I could take unlimited classes. So I did, you know, cause I just wanted to explore all of these different areas. That's awesome. Except for you have a 2.1 which means yeah. that you weren't really exploring all of the, you were barely even, were you even going to class? I mean, it's like, it's hard to get a 2.1. Trust me. I tried when I was an undergrad. <laughs> you you tried? I did. I had, so. You're like, my goal is to get a 2.1. No, 1.7 was the best possible. So when I was an undergrad, <laughs> I mean, have I not told this story before? I, I No, I never knew that you were trying to get a low GPA. I was. I was trying to get as low of a GPA as I possibly could. Because, what the hell was wrong with you? <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> now we need to explain that. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a first-generation college student. 
Okay, so you went to college and you're like, okay, I get the idea. Yeah, I got it. Well, you're supposed to keep these numbers really low. Low is good. It's like it's like golf. <laughs> the, the, I didn't know that there even was such a thing as postgraduate education. Okay, I knew theoretically okay, okay. that like, oh, uh, there's doctors mm-hmm. who go to grad school, but I never wanted to do that. I I was like, my vision for my life. Okay. And, you know, uh, by the way, this is me, like the smartest kid in my little shitty hometown. But my the vision, my vision that I had for my life based on my family and based on my, you know, my community that I grew up in, mm-hmm. my vision was always to go to college. But college was the end. College was you go to college, you graduate, and then you work. And so I didn't think I was ever going to use my college grades for anything. At the same time, I have always been the world's worst student. I hate being in class. I ju- I just don't like listening to lecturers. I don't. I especially don't like listening to the other students. I've never liked being in. A, I've never liked being a student in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And so I'm at UC Davis. I'm a total idiot. I'm 18 years old, 19 years old. You know, and just you've got the world at your fingertips there at UC Davis. And my job, I, I was just like, oh, well, I have to graduate. I'm going to graduate in four years. I want to have fun while I'm here. I want to do the least work possible and graduate. Mm. Because that's what I did in high school, too. And hmm. um, so I had... What was your GPA in high school? Oh, it was high. But I mean, that's just because I was it, I was a big fish in a small pond. I mean, it was it was easy for me to to kill every test in high school. And I I wasn't valedictorian or anything because there were people who worked a lot harder than I did who were able to get better grades. I I just would blow off assignments sometimes and get an A minus and, you know, but I mean, I still had like a, I think I had a three or whatever. We had honors classes and stuff. My grades were good. Let's put it that way. I mean, they were good for, for someone, a high school kid who's not even trying. They were good, but yeah. Nathan, do you suffer from uh, self-esteem problems? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Um, no um (laughs) so i uh in at davis i was just like i'm gonna try to do as little work as possible and i found one thing i found was psychology classes and sociology classes Mm -hmm. which were uh 100 lecture based no homework and all they had was a couple multiple choice midterms and a multiple choice final. And so I would find out in advance exactly what the class was. And if it was multiple choice exams and multiple choice final, I knew that I could take the class without ever attending it, without ever buying a book, without ever doing any reading. And I literally would only show up for the exams. Mm-hmm. So I would just walk in cold to my sociology, whatever midterm. And then I would pass it. And so one semester or one Davis is on the quarter system. So one quarter I got four C minuses mm-hmm. in the same. I, I took 16 units and I got straight C minuses all the way down the, down the list. And that was a 1.7 GPA. And it was at the time it was my greatest achievement because <laughs> I was like, perfect. I did it perfectly. I did the, absolute minimum amount of work. 
I don't have to retake any of these classes. I'm on academic probation, but that's completely meaningless because I passed all four of the classes. I don't have to retake any of them. And I just move right on to the next quarter. No problem. And I did, I did like nothing. I did, I did no work for the semester or the quarter. And yeah, that was my greatest achievement at the time. Hmm. So yeah, I'm an idiot. I mean, I, I was a complete idiot. I was totally naive. I had no business being at university. Uh, but yeah, I was, I, I was trying to get as poor grades as I possibly could. And I still graduated with a 2.5. Well, um, yeah, that's interesting. Actually, it kind of makes me think about, uh, the power of knowing what the goal is. Totally. Right. Like this happens all the time. It happens on the LSAT. It happens for new attorneys who think that the goal is to write like old judges <laughs> and their writing sounds horrible. But if you just tell them, wait, 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 no, 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 the goal is to sound clear, to be concise, to make sense, use modern language, then all of a sudden, they may not become the best writers overnight, but they start to go in the right direction, right? Yeah. And like on the LSAT, people think that the goal is to mark up the passage, to underline every little thing that might seem important. They're like, no, 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 that's not the goal. The goal is to understand it. And then all of a sudden, they start working towards that goal. It doesn't help them overnight, but they know the direction that they need to go in and they start to make progress. It seems like you just had the goal mixed up. Well, you didn't realize the goal. I mean, if that's your goal, you did a great job, you know, but yeah, I, and I mean, I really, in retrospect, after now I have three graduate degrees, <laughs> which I, no one would have ever predicted. Maybe, maybe you and Jason should hang out. Yeah. Really. No, not Jason. <laughs> Whoever this guy is. Shane. <laughs> Shane. Shane. You're Jason. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I didn't know shit when I was in an undergrad and I really feel for first generation college students. Um, cause you know, I, I feel like I was part of the, I was one of those kids that is just very likely to get sucked into unnecessary debt for mm-hmm. really very uncertain benefit. Um, just going through the motions and paying tuition and get a degree that's meaningless. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, um, <clears throat> want to keep going? Sure. Wait. Is it, oh. is it me or is it you? I don't know. Oh, remember. it's me. It's me. Mm-hmm. My first LSAT practice test was a 161 without studying. So I was thrilled that I was oh, going to smart. crush the official test. And I would say, absolutely. If you start with a 161, you're a very good candidate for 170 something. And uh, yeah, cold 161, you should crush the test. Over a month of studying, I was scoring 163 consistently. Okay. I would be expecting a little more improvement than that in a month. Took the week before the June LSAT off of work to study full time. I hate that. And took two tests a day. I really hate that. Ugh. What are you doing? Yeah, let's talk about this for a second here. A lot of people do this. They they come to me and they're like, hey, guess what? I got the whole week off before the June test or the September test or whatever. And what should I do with my time? If that's all you can do, great. That's better than nothing. But I'd rather you take those days off and spread them out over time. If you're going to take time off, do like every Friday. And then you can really use that day and then... Um, let the lessons that you learned from that 
relaxing day of LSAT studying, maybe to take an LSAT test or something, um, to sink in, right? Like you yeah. can't do it day after day after day. Yeah. You're just going to end up wasting your time doing laundry. That's what everyone does because you can only study the LSAT so long. Or you do what Shane did and you literally fry your brain. This is like the kid who goes to the gym and starts working out from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then at the end of the week is like, dang, it's strange. The number of push-ups I do each day seems to have gone down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here Shane went a little bit up. So this is this is madness. This is exactly the opposite of what we would recommend. Shane took the week off to study full time, took two tests a day, which is that's just so that's exactly backward. I'd rather have you doing two sections a day and then really learning from them. And instead yep. you're doing two tests a day and you're not learning shit from them. You're just hammering test after test after test. It says I ended up consistently at 165 and a high of 167. <clears throat> so in all hmm. of this work that Shane has done, Shane has only improved by four points off of the cold diagnostic. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> that's because this is not the correct way to study. I mean, you're, you're not learning anything here. You're, you're substituting volume for um, quality, right? This is yep. quantity, not quality. And it's smoke, not fire. So we could see the smoke coming out of Shane's ears as he's doing this, but yeah. there's just not a lot of actual, there's no, nothing is catching flame here. <laughs> That's why he's yeah. not scoring in the one seventies. Yeah. I took the weekend before the actual test off from studying and made sure to go see wonder woman. Very nice. Anytime I took a break to rest my noggin between tests, I had large jumps in score. So I was very optimistic. <laughs> That, like, proves our point. Yeah, right. My final score was 161. I was devastated. It was as if I never studied. Well, you kind of never did study. I mean, you didn't study the right way. You did mm-hmm. You did a bunch of shit, but it, you did not do the right shit. I plan on retaking in September, but my morale is crushed. With my aim set no further down on the rankings than the top 40, and more specifically, University of Washington, is it possible for me to go to law school for free? Thanks for any advice you could give. Wow. <clears throat> well, it's going to come down to his GPA, right? Yeah, Shane. Whatever LSAC decides. Yeah, you need to do the credential assembly service right now, and you need to get all your transcripts uploaded, and you need to just see what your LSAC GPA is. If your LSAC GPA comes out at a 2.10, you're not going to law school for free in the top 40. I would say something else, and that is he got a 161 on the official test. Yes. I... Although he didn't study as effectively as he could have, I'm sure that he made progress and he learned things as he made mistakes and tried to figure them out. Um, And that's why his score went up to consistently a 165 and on occasion, I guess once he got a 167. I think his 161, um, I mean, who knows why he got a 161, right? Maybe he... uh, Tried to do everything perfectly because it was test day. He tried for a 180. Yeah. Or his 170s. Like, today I'm going to hit my 170, my high. Today's going to be the day. I just got to go a little bit faster. Yeah. So I would be looking at that test, figuring out where you lost those points. And then, I mean, it's a little, that's a while now, unfortunately. But why do you, can you remember like what you were thinking in the moment? 
Can you remember why you might have totally botched that game or that uh-huh. reading comp passage? Do you remember anything about it? I mean, they send you the test. You can look at it and yeah. be like, oh, yeah, this was that stupid whatever passage, and I wasn't paying attention, or I was going too fast, or I rushed, or I went too slow. I was trying to do everything perfectly. Um, and in any case, I mean, I just... I just don't think you can read so much into one score. No, I'm and I'm not. I'm I'm saying, yeah, you didn't. Oh, I'm I'm talking to Shane. Okay, yeah, I could. Yeah. If you want me, to, no, no, <laughs> you, <laughs> you Nathan can't read so much into it, but no one can, right? Yeah, I mean that's just how it is. Shane obviously needs to retake the LSAT. You you need to do something different with your prep. I think you need to do less full tests and more timed sections. Then you need to really dig in and review your mistakes. You got to be very. You got to be honest with yourself. You know, when you miss questions, it's not just oh, I made a silly mistake there. If it is, stop doing that. But it, it's probably more than just a silly mistake. It's probably something you don't understand, and mm-hmm. you have to figure that out before you move on to another practice test. It's stupid to do test after test after test. Uh, there is no circumstance when I would ever recommend someone to do two full tests in a single day. Never. Never. Zero, ever. zero ever. Not that is not a thing that you should do. Nope. Um, so you need to do less tests. You need to really review. You do need to do the credential assembly service so you can figure out what your LSAC GPA is. Um, I did some quick analysis here. I, I googled the University of Washington uh, ABA five hundred nine report, and I don't think you're getting in with a two point one, <clears throat> even if you score one seventy something. Um, a 2.1 is way below their 25th percentile on GPA, which means they just don't admit people with that score. Um, a 166 or higher would put Shane above the 75th percentile LSAT, but I think you would need that for sure in order to even get admitted. They, uh, the 509 reports have so much information on them, and I really encourage people to Google the 509 reports for all these law schools. Um, Mm -hmm. University of Washington gives half to full tuition scholarships to only 18% of their class. So how is it possible that Shane with a, even with a 170, if you're a 170 and a 2.1, you're not a top 18% candidate. They're just Mm -hmm. on the numbers. You are not a top 18% candidate. So I don't think you're going to get one of those half to full tuition scholarships with those numbers. Now, if your if your LSAC GPA comes back at a three point five, that's an entirely different story. So at that point, you might have more of a chance. But if your LSAC GPA is two point one, you're going to have to start looking at other schools for scholarships. Yeah. Okay. That's I think all we got for Shane. That's all yeah. I got for Shane. All right. Thanks. Cool. I'll take this next one. Hi guys! Exclamation point. First, I just want to thank you all, y'all for providing a both entertaining and helpful resource for the LSAT. No problem. Second, some context. I'm going to start applying to law schools in October, so I'm beginning to think about all of the essays that I need to write. Forgive me if these topics have already been covered. I am a new listener. All of the essays I need to write, I'm thinking like one or two tops, no? Yeah, I don't I don't know. There's a couple, but okay. Let's take a look. Mm-hmm. My first issue relates to the diversity statement. Does the diversity statement only relate to race, nationality? Short answer, no, definitely not. Diversity can come in all different forms. Mm-hmm. Um, it could relate to your religion. Um, 
just something about your community or your family that's unique mm-hmm. that gives you a different perspective. It could be even related to your work experience if that's unique and gives you a diverse viewpoint mm-hmm. that others might not have. Yep. I'm just wondering if being gay constitutes as being diverse. I think that depends on where you're from. Yep. Uh, let's. So anyways, um, my friends seem to think that this allows me the option to write a diversity statement, but I don't feel very diverse. Hmm. I'm an average white blonde lady who just happens to be gay. I'm quite boring, really. However, this is not where my question ends, because if I'm able to write a diversity statement, I also do not want to sound repetitive, as my addendum is related to my coming out. My addendum. <clears throat> hmm. Okay. I think she means personal statement, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Like every other listener, I too have a sob story that contributed to a dip in my GPA. Uh, so maybe she's going to explain her GPA. In her oh, I see. I'm from a small conservative town in Texas where being gay isn't exactly celebrated. Okay, yeah, that makes a big difference. Being gay in Texas is, I think, or a small conservative town yep. in Texas would be different than being gay in San Francisco um, or anywhere else that's more metropolitan. When I figured out I was gay sophomore year, I sort I sort of spiraled into a depression and my grades suffered. Yeah. I thought my friend's family town would reject me and I'd live I'd live a sad, lonely life with 90 plus cats, even though I hate cats. Yeah, that, that would be depressing to think mm. about. Living your life in the closet is not fun or conducive to building relationships, so I had to come out. However, it turns out that I did not give my community enough credit. They accepted me with complete love and understanding, which really makes me feel a bit silly about the whole depression thing. Don't feel silly. That's that's a natural reaction to what you perceive others will think. Um, anywho, after that long-winded explanation, my question is how should I handle the addendum and the potential diversity statement without sounding repetitive? Well, I don't know that... Mm, I think you could keep your addendum really short. If you write a diversity statement that talks about this coming out experience, then your GPA addendum could just be like, hey, based on my experience or when I was coming out, this or before I came out, my grade suffered. And the reviewer should understand what's going on because of your diversity statement. If you want, you could even point them to that in your addendum, but I don't think you need to explain a lot in your addendum given the context provided by the diversity statement. Yeah, so like a <clears throat> a theme for your addendum, sorry, a theme for your diversity statement is like gay in Texas. Yep. And then the theme for your addendum is coming out hurt my grades or being in the closet hurt my grades or whatever it is. But yeah, I think Ben's right. Keep that, ad- that addendum about the grades, keep it really short and hope that they have read your diversity statement first and the diversity statement. I do think that a hook of gay in Texas is perfect. That's going to actually play really well on the coasts because people on the coasts want to shit on Texas anyway. So we're willing <laughs> to believe you if you say how horrible it is to be gay in Texas. Well, the interesting thing here, too, is that her community really accepted her, so that might play even better, right? Yeah. They're like, oh, and look, 
every community is coming around. This is, right. this is so, such good news. Yeah, but you can sell it as you when you were in the closet. You can sell. It's you're not going to be a difficult sell that you were very worried about coming out because you're sure. in a small conservative town in Texas. And yeah. yeah, when when we're here, I'm in Los Angeles and Ben's in D.C., it's easy for us folks to, to think like, oh, shit, I would hate to be gay in Texas. And so you can you can put us in that story pretty quickly where we're like, oh, man, I can definitely see how that would hurt your grades. And then, yeah, the 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 coming out story. And as it turns out, everybody accepts you and then your grades turn around. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I th- I think actually the fact that her community was accepting makes her story all the more interesting because people reading it will expect sort of like this negative outcome, right? It's a end. twist. Yeah, the rednecks actually yeah. end up, you know, bringing you a. They make you a rainbow uh, holster for your gun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you could please include that element of the story, that'd be much appreciated. Um, yeah. No, I think that would make it interesting. You know, because when, when stories end exactly how you expect them to end, it's a little boring. Yeah, totally. And, totally. So, yeah, cool. So, that's good then. Yeah. We solved it for, for Carly. Yeah, and she says we could use her first name. So, thanks, Carly. Thanks again for the great podcast, and, apolog- and I apologize for the giant wall of text. You know, that actually wasn't that bad. It was really easy to follow. And I think you provided the detail we needed. Yeah. Well, what ri- do you think? well written walls of text are better than poorly written walls of text. The problem is people who write walls of text all think they're good writers. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a fine line. Yeah. No, this is really well formatted everything. Okay. Anonymous has a bunch of bullet pointed questions. One. How do you advise students who have had problems with test anxiety and have underperformed as a result? Well, we've talked about uh, doing mindfulness training on this show, but I would, in addition to that, I would also think about why you get test anxiety. Like, are you thinking about the test as an assessment of... (laughs) something more than just a silly law school exam, you know? Um, I think sometimes people get anxious about the result because they think of the result as like an assessment of their self-worth or something. They don't realize that, which is why they don't understand the source of the anxiety. But if you think about it for a while, think about why do I really care about this and unpack that, I think you can get to the source of the problem and get rid of the anxiety. There's nothing to be anxious about. Yeah, it's a game. If you're doing it right, it's a fun game that you get to play. And yep. you should just treat it as you should treat every practice test as a fun game that you get to play. It's a puzzle that you get to solve. It all makes perfect sense. If you really start to understand it, it all makes perfect sense. So this anxiety is definitely something that you're putting on yourself, right? It's this this anxiety bubble that's inflating and you can maybe pop a hole in it by just playing the LSAT, play it like a game. Um, I would also definitely be recommending lots and lots of 35-minute sections. I mean, part of the reason why sometimes people suffer with test, they, they call it test anxiety because they haven't done enough timed 
practice. They're just not used to the time. Mm -hmm. So definitely time yourself um, and time yourself with a five minute warning. We were talking about that on the last show, right? Where sometimes people, they don't, when they practice, they just put 35 minutes on the clock. And then when they take the real thing, they get the five minute warning and the five minute warning freaks them out. Yep. So you need to make sure that you're giving yourself a five minute warning for sure. Yeah. What else? I think that's that's mainly it. Okay. You just have to practice with the time and pra- practice ignoring it. Yeah. Sometimes people are like, I don't want to practice with the time because it stresses me out. <laughs> Good. And it's like, well, yeah, that's exactly why you need to practice with it. Exactly. You need to get used to ignoring it. Yeah, exactly. You should always be timing yourself and you should always be ignoring the clock. Yep. Um, second question. What do you think is the most efficient study strategy to consider, uh, sorry, to continue improvement when practice test range 162 to 166 thoughts on tutoring hmm well we say this all the time right keep doing 35 minute sections and reviewing the heck out of them Mm -hmm. in terms of tutoring yeah sounds like she's a good or he is a good candidate for tutoring because her scores are much closer to or higher and that's the general rule of thumb the higher your scores the more likely it is you would benefit from tutoring. The lower your score is, the more likely you'd benefit from class. You'd still benefit from tutoring, but it just doesn't make sense in terms of like the cost per hour um, and the fact that you're just going to have to go over so much stuff. You might as well take one of our online classes, learn the core concepts, and then use tutoring to clarify the things you still don't understand after you've improved your score. Yeah, I mean, if you care about money at all, it's it's like... Because, you know, the few of you that don't care about money, then, yeah, you can get tutoring the whole way. But yeah, although, I mean, from my perspective, it's I don't find it to be super satisfying. I'm always like, you know, why am I tutoring you one on one when you're scoring 145 or 150? Because it's just Mm -hmm. like, you know, it seems like Mm -hmm. you should have been able to put in the work here on your own instead of it's like then you're it's like people are trying to pay for it. Like just, mm-hmm. I want to buy myself a higher score and I, that's not what I'm selling. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a guide. I'm a very experienced guide. I can help people at the highest levels get to higher levels. Um, but I don't, it's not just like magically pay me money and show up and then your score magically improves. It, like you got to be putting in the work on your own. And so yeah, it's like it's just not that satisfying to do one-on-one work with someone who's scoring 150 when it's like okay, there's a lot of other work you could do. I mean, by all mm-hmm. means, you could still book a consultation with me. I do free 30-minute consultations. Uh all the information's on my website foxelsat.com and I have a self-booking site which is foxelsat.youcanbook.me. Um, where you can book a free 30 minute consultation or you can book uh, a full paid tutoring session, but, you know, do the consultation and I'll help you talk about different resources uh, that you can use to self-study, but I'm not going to get excited about one-on-one tutoring with you until you're in the one sixties. That's just my, I mean, and yeah, am I turning down money? Yes, I am turning down money, but I, it's not, I'm not all about the money. (laughs) You know, I, I get paid well for, for what I do. And, but I, I want to also really enjoy what I do. And when I'm the best, the very best is working with that student who is already scoring 171. Right. I mean, that's the most rewarding 
kind of one-on-one tutoring. And, and I feel like I can actually help those people the most. Yeah. So when you're at 162 to 166, you've been studying for a while. You feel like you know the basics. I do think that makes you a good candidate for one-on-one tutoring. And it's totally possible that just one or two sessions could could make a big difference, right? Mm-hmm. How do people get yeah. in touch with you, Ben, if they're interested in one-on-one with you? Uh, the best is just to go to strategyprep.com and then forward slash tutoring. It's all on strategyprep.com if you're interested in working with Ben. Yeah. Um, three, can a decent LSAT score, professional experience, 4.0 last year of college, and other positives realistically overcome a low GPA and criminal record? Uh, it's low level, no felonies. <laughs> I'm glad it's not a felony. <laughs> uh, wow. Interesting. Do you know, I don't remember what anonymous criminal criminal record was. Do you know? No, she, actually, I don't remember, but it, it, whatever. If it's not a felony, it's a low level something. I mean, it's most likely whatever, you know, what people, it's like some drug thing or could be DUI, could be got caught up with the wrong crowd i don't know it just doesn't it's not like murder so yeah i don't think um i don't think it's going to matter much either she says 4.0 last year of college that's great what's the gpa overall though too i'd be interested in that that's going to matter yeah you're going to want to write an addendum to point out your increasing grade trend uh talk about how you overcame whatever it was that you had to overcome and that your 4.0 in your last year of college is a more realistic determination of the student that you are today. Mm-hmm. Um, you want the best LSAT score you can possibly get in order to really sell that. As far as the criminal record thing is concerned, I think that's it's certainly beyond my area of expertise. I don't know anything about that. I, I don't know anything about how you disclose criminal record on a law school application. Um, I think some applications ask you, right? Right. I just don't know how to spin it or how to deal with it or if it's even possible at, at some schools, it might, it might be impossible. I, I don't know anything about that. I think this is a good, uh, place to look, uh, to someone like Anne Levine for help, mm-hmm. uh, because she does a lot of, you know, detailed work with people's, uh, law school applications. She just, uh, launched a brand new version of her book, the law school admission game. Uh, Mm -hmm. so definitely check out the, the law school admission game I know has some uh, information in there about criminal record. So you're going to want to check that out. Cool. I don't I don't have any other advice about the criminal record part. Do you? Uh, no, I mean, I think it kind of depends on what, what happened. Yeah. Um, Sort it out in advance. How long ago it happened. Yeah. What you did. Wait, what'd you say? Well, I'd say figure this out before you go to law school because I the, the nightmare scenario would be you get admitted to law school, like if you especially if you like don't disclose the criminal record, mm. you get admitted to law school, you pay three years worth of tuition, and then it comes out on your character and fitness application for the bar. And if that happens, you might not even be allowed to take the bar. Mm. So <laughs> you want to make sure that you're going to be allowed to take the bar someday. <laughs> which yep. I think certain crimes, maybe felonies, just make it so that you're like never going to be allowed to take the bar exam or ne- never be like you would never get admitted to the bar. Um, yeah. So it doesn't sound like this is that issue, but you want to know before you yeah. go. Yeah. You want to know what you have to disclose because that could be a problem, right? It's like 
the the crime itself is not a problem, but the cover up is. Not that you're trying to cover it up, but yeah, the that bar application process is just like super onerous, right? Like it just <laughs> it gets people in all these random little things. So you just got to be uh, transparent. Yeah, I never did the bar application, thank God, but it did it did look like a big pain in the ass, and and uh, I know that I have heard stories of people getting burned by not disclosing stuff up front. So mm-hmm. no, if you if you're going to hide something to get into law school, that means you're not going to have to hide it for the entire rest of your legal career, <laughs> and that's not going to be a fun situation. So you might as well just uh, disclose it now. Yeah. All right, I can read this uh, next one. Hi, Nathan and Ben. Please don't use my name if you decide to use it on the podcast. No problem. I want to thank you for your podcast. I am pretty new to the podcast, and I'm finding it helpful and informative. Yeah? Oh, just if people don't read their own things before they send them. <laughs> That's true. The The repetition here of the word podcast three times is not something that in the first two sentences is not something or three sentences is not something you would do. I think if you reread it. Yeah. That's all. Um, that reminds me when I was in law school, I remember a law professor told our class, it was a small class. So this must've been my third year. The law professor said, every time I send you an email, I read that email one time before I send it to you. So I write it and then I read through it. And so I know that I've, I've thought about everything that I'm saying to you. And I don't know why that like <laughs> stuck in my head. That's awesome. <laughs> but I was like, Oh yeah. And I still think about that today. Like I'm writing an email and then I'm just like, yeah, I just take like 30 seconds, read over it again. And there's always words that I leave out or things that like I read it, a second time and I'm saying, what the heck that like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. 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 And I think that's awesome. mm. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I don't, by the way, I don't want to make it think, make people think that I think I'm perfect as far as like the emails that I send. Cause I certainly sometimes get lazy and just fire off emails. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um, I think probably everybody does sometimes, but it is, that is a very powerful idea. The, uh, Hey, I reread this email one time because <laughs> it makes a fucking difference. Cause when I go back and reread it, I realize, Oh, come on, dude, don't say that. You don't need to put it that way. By the way, yeah. you use the same word four times. Also, there's a spelling mistake here or the sentence is broken or, yeah. you know, why you're, you're so out of order. You've, you've repeated yourself. You've said things out of order. Why don't you just totally restructure this entire thing? And We've said it before, right? That's where good good writing just comes from good editing. Mm-hmm. Everybody writes a shitty first draft. <laughs> you just don't have to hit send immediately on the shitty first draft. You can reread it. and <laughs> It doesn't take long, 30 seconds to contemplate it. Yeah. Um, and, and you end up saving yourself time in the end, right? If you don't get these like emails back and forth clarifying things. Like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> right. The other the other thing that stuck in my mind about emails is um, I think it was I think it was Tim Ferriss um, who's someone you know we like to make fun of yeah but I thought this advice was pretty good he said that when you write an email you want to to the extent you can anticipate questions 
and then respond to those questions to some degree. So like if you're telling, this was in the context of like sending an email to an employee or something, but um, I do use this every now and then. And that is like, if you're giving someone two options, you're like, oh, do you want to do this? Or do you want to do that? Or, you know, I would consider doing this or that. Instead of like just ending it there and waiting for them to come back to me and say, oh, well, I want to do option A. I'll often like kind of close everything out by being like, okay, well, if you do this, I would suggest this period. If you do that, I would suggest this. That way, they don't have to get back to me, right? Like to the extent I can prevent someone from responding, uh, the the extent that sort of project just moves forward and I don't ever have to like interact with that again. So again, just trying to avoid this like back and forth that a lot of times email can like devolve into, but. that's You got to put that on the curriculum for John Roberts. That's right. Well, that's extremely <laughs> useful stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's like actually teaching people how to be more effective more effective mm-hmm. at whatever they do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> do you think email is ever going to just go away? I know kids these days like don't seem to use email, but email is not going to be leaving like law firm culture. Oh, no, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I think it's extremely helpful in like a business context because it provides a thorough record of what you're doing, right? Yeah. Texting is a little, does as well, but it's a little harder to track down. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like so many times people, you know, say something, it's like, oh, wait, what? I thought we actually talked about something else. And it's like, I just look up the email and I'm like, oh, this is exactly what we talked about, you know? Yeah, yeah. people text me LSAT questions sometimes. And like a quick question about, strategy or something like that you know i i can i can answer by text but when people want to ask me like three detailed you know questions about actual lsat problems i always just say hey can you can you email this to me yeah because uh, yeah. if you email it to me then it gets in my workflow but if uh, if you text it to me i mean i could be in a bar somewhere and glance at it and then forget about it forever like i it's mm-hmm. just so easy to to let the threads drop with at least the way I operate my stuff. No, I, yeah, I agree. Like sometimes I don't like looking at, I know I have texts, but I don't want to look at them because I'm like, oh shoot. Like as soon as I look at this, if I have to deal with it, I'm not in a place to deal with it. So mm-hmm. anyways, um, nameless continues. Mm-hmm. I'm considering taking the December LSAT because I feel I will be better prepared for the test at that time. Uh, just to note, it's, the beginning of August right now. Mm-hmm. So we still have a month and a half until the September LSAT and three and a half months until the December LSAT. Or three, yeah. Um, I am starting to study now by just self-studying, using the books and practice tests provided by LSAC.org. I would like to try self-studying because I simply can't afford to take a prep course. Plus, I don't know of a of prep company. I don't know of a prep company that has an in-person course in Kansas City. Okay. I prefer in-person because with online classes that I've taken for school, I found it difficult to focus and in some cases had to retake the class in person. Okay. I took a practice test and scored 140, which I know is pretty bad. 
Because my GPA is low, I am hoping to score as close as I can to 170. Is that even feasible with my time frame? Are there any other tools you can suggest? My gut reaction is, no, that's not feasible by December. It's, well, literally speaking, it's theoretically possible, but unless your next practice test score jumps up significantly and the 140 was just, oh, I don't know what's going on, I'm trying to figure it out, but now that I know what's going on, I'm scoring 150, 155, I would be really surprised to see you hit 170 by December. Or ever. If ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that, right. So, I mean, we've, I've seen one or two people make a 30 point improvement in 11 yep. years of teaching the LSAT. Yep. So your 140 to 170 dream is probably just a dream. 140 to 160 is a lot more uh, feasible. Feasible is a inherently subjective term. And mm-hmm. so I don't know what feasible really means, but 30 point improvement is quite unlikely, quite uncommon. Mm -hmm. And a a 20 point improvement is no easy task, but it happens uh, on the regular. And so, you know, by the way, you got to get to 150 before you can get to 160 and you got to get to 160 before you can get to 170. So I don't know that there's any point in just like dreaming about 170. Um, <clears throat> this is one of the least favorite questions I get. Uh, are there any other tools or like tips or whatever people ask about that? Like, Hey, mm-hmm. are there, do you have any tips for how to improve by 30 points? Yeah. It's like, Oh, well, we've been holding back on those. <laughs> I can't give those away. Cause those were, that's <laughs> my magic beans. <laughs> and <laughs> they're here with my goose. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Right. So, I mean, I appreciate people reaching out to me for help. Don't get me wrong, but you got to ask a better question than that. And it's not just, Hey, what are your magic tools? Um, have you done my free online class? I know you say you prefer in-person classes. Okay, fine. But you have a long way to go. And my free online class is free. And the risk there is zero. It's just your time and your effort. And if you haven't done it yet, what are you doing with your life? Mm -hmm. Have you done Ben's free online class? It is free. (laughs) It's there. It's waiting for you. Mm -hmm. So instead of asking for other tools we can suggest, you should use the tools that we already offer and, and use them all the way. I mean, I get, I'm sorry to like be, yelling about this, but I get, I get students who, you know, even like they just signed up for my full online class and that's great. I'm, I'm on their team, you know, um, they've got all my books, they've got access to 70 plus hours worth of videos. And then they take one practice test and then they send me an email like, Hey, can you give me some tips for how to improve from 140 to 165? Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, yeah. Talk to me class. in three months after you've done all of this mountain of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's, people really want a magic quick fix, mm-hmm. but I just don't know that there, if there is, if there was one, everybody would know it. Right. And we wouldn't be in business. Yeah. So, well, in the LSAT would be pointless. Yeah. It'd be like, 
Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Now you know the magic sauce. And yeah. the the magic sauce is that lawyers love to work their asses off. And so you want to improve a lot, that's great. You got high goals, that's great. Work your ass off. And Yeah. Focus focus on learning and really trying yeah. to understand this stuff. The thing that's cool about the test, I think, is that um as your score does go up and reflect your level of understanding and your competence that you're gaining as you practice this stuff, it reflects like a fundamental change in your ability to process information. Like you're getting smarter and you can get smarter. And so it will help you not only on the test, but it will help you in law school. This is what I was telling uh, my students last night um, when we were going over the reading comp section. I was like, of all the three sections, this one probably most (laughs) directly relates to what you'll be doing in law school and your ability to become a good or your efforts to become a good reader are going to help you your first year in law school and beyond. But um, becoming really good at knowing exactly what's being said, what this sentence is doing in the context of the other sentences is the ex- is exactly the kind of thing that law school professors and attorneys in general are obsessed with. And so when you get questions wrong, that's like a clue like, hey, look a little harder, get a little better, and figure it out. So although the secret sauce is to work hard and try to understand this stuff, it's not totally futile. It's not just for the LSAT. No. It's for you and your head. Yeah, it is totally becoming a better lawyer. It is becoming a better legal writer, a big, a better legal thinker. Yeah. Because you, you get so good at the logical reasoning where you just you see what their evidence is, you see what their conclusion is, and you just immediately spot that gap. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what you're going to be doing when you're writing legal briefs and legal memos. So, yeah, get you got to get really good at that stuff. If you're going to be any kind of a lawyer, you got to get good at it anyway. So you might as well get good at it for the LSAT and get yourself into a better school, better scholarship. Yeah. Hey, do you ever get these questions? Uh, sorry to go on this tangent, but you kind of reminded me of it. Uh, it was a couple weeks before the last test, before the June test. Someone came up to me and they're like, hey, I, I'm really struggling with logical reasoning. Can you tell me, um, can you give me some tips and tricks for logical <laughs> reasoning? And I was like, you know, my my gut reaction is sort of, <laughs> well, this is kind of like a whole course, but um, I get what you're trying to say. And so I will tell you the one piece of information that I think is most helpful for logical reasoning. And that is make sure you absolutely understand the passage and that you don't let any clause go, you know, un like scrutinized. Like er- everything yeah. that you read in that passage should make 100% sense to yeah. you. And if it doesn't, then double down, figure it out, and understand it. Yeah. And I, I was telling, I told him this, and I said, once you understand the passage, then it doesn't matter what question type we're talking about, most things will fall into place. You'll be in a much better position to answer whatever question they give you. And I told her this, and she, she like kind of rolled her eyes. You know, like it was like, okay, yeah. but I want... <laughs> I want some real advice. I want I want to know how to really improve the logical reasoning section. Yeah. And I'm like um I said, well, if you if you want to dig into it a little bit more, 
you can start learning about all the different question types and what you should do for them, but that's that's lots of work and that involves taking 35 minute sections, getting questions wrong, trying to figure out what kind of question it is, what they're asking for and all this stuff. Like, I, <laughs> what do you want? You know, do you want me to tell you like there's this, this thing like you're talking about like, oh, well, um, it's, it's very common for the correct answer to be either D or E, at least in the last 10 <laughs> yeah, questions. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> bullshit like that like stuff that. that PowerScore does. Yeah, yeah. Now, people want the magic beans. I mean, I understand it. It's human nature. Like, we're, we're inherently lazy creatures. Um, I'm certainly lazy. And if I can get it easier, I would love to get it easier. But it just, it, it's not going to happen that way on the LSAT. You're going to have to, yeah, that's crazy. When I say, hey, you have to actually understand it. And they, and then they roll their eyes at me like, Mm -hmm. oh, but I, this stuff, who's going to ever understand this stuff? And it's like, oh, well, all the people who are scoring higher than you on the test. That's yeah. Or the flip of that, right? Is I think they're rolling their eyes because they're like, yeah, I already do that. (laughs) <laughs> but then they're missing the questions. Yeah. Hmm. You're like, I don't think you really understand what I'm trying to say here. No. Maybe I need to say it differently or better, but I don't think you really do understand because when you're going into the answer choices, you're debating things that other people are like, no way in hell because yeah. the passage already well, totally discarded that. If I had only one piece of advice to give for logical reasoning, you said, and I like your your one tip, your one golden pearl of wisdom for the logical reasoning is to read everything and make sure you understand everything they said. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, I would say if, if I had my one pearl of LSAT wisdom to offer, I would say you need to predict the answers mm-hmm. before you look at the answer choices. You have to be predicting the answers. And I think we're really saying the same thing there, Ben, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it is, through actually understanding the passage and through understanding what question they're asking you, that is how you get to predicting the answers. Mm -hmm. And when you predict the answers, then the bad answers just start to look so bad and Mm -hmm. the correct answers start to look better. Even if they phrased them in some confusing hidden kind of a way, when you have a good solid prediction it makes that answer look better and it makes all the other answers look worse. Mm-hmm. And that's how you really get good at logical reasoning. Yeah. Um, so a- anyway, yeah. You, sorry, folks. I, I hate to break it to you, but if you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to have to get to a point where you read these arguments. And even if they're bad arguments, you, you understand them. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, This person continues, my goal is to go to a school like University of San Diego or Cal Western, but really I will go anywhere in the country. I get the most money for school. Wow. (laughs) Okay. So money is the most important thing. I would like to end up practicing in San Diego, in the San Diego area. If you have any suggestions or pointers to make this happen, I'm open to any advice. Well, go to law school in that area. Yeah, right. You're going to build your whole network wherever you go to law school. So going across the country to a low-ranked school, even if they are going to give you a full ride. I mean, it's better than paying full price in San Diego, that's for sure. But if those are your choices, I would say just don't go. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I would be looking to get yourself a scholarship in San Diego for this student. Yep. I think do not pay for law school. No. And it, we have, we got to give a little bit of tough love. It's it's sort of like, hey, listen, you got a low GPA, you got a cold 140. You are not an awesome candidate for law school. Um, you can improve that LSAT score. Hopefully you can improve that LSAT score a lot. Um, your email has like 20 typos in it. Yeah. Um, appreciate that you're reaching out to us, but it just doesn't, none of this, it just doesn't sound lawyerly. And so I would hate to see you go to university of San Diego or Cal Western and pay full price. Yeah. Um, I think you can become a practicing attorney in San Diego. It's not guaranteed. You know, the California bar exam is looming at some point in your future. They are going to make it easier. They're going to lower the bar. Um, but it's still going to be hard. They're making it easier? Yeah. Because not as many applicants are making it? Or you know, because Fagman is complaining about it. All, all of the all the law Is that your teams, dude? Is yeah, that your guy? Mm-hmm, that's the Hastings dude. Yeah. <laughs> They're... They're all. They're complaining about the freaking bar. Yeah, that's sorry. I was. I just like that is ridiculous. No, I read that email that on the show. Like, Remember when he was complaining? Let's push off this shit to someone else. Yeah, and and never talking about how they've lowered their admission standards, and only talking about how it's unconscionable that the state bar is 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 a limp, is a you know is is so high and that's preventing all these wonderful lawyers from practicing law. Oh my gosh! So they're, yeah, they're going to make the California bar easier. Apparently, um, I apologize for getting a little fired up there, but I can't believe that's a thing. Such a bad idea! Like, why don't we just lower the? Let's just lower the reputation of the whole legal profession even further. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, get. We should read the rest of this. I think email too. Sure. The last thing I wanted to say about this is that one of the ironies of paying for law school is that the lower your LSAT score, the lower your GPA, the less likely it is that you're going to pass the bar. Therefore, the more you need a scholarship, yet the less likely you are to get it, right? The very people who need the scholarship (laughs) are the ones that are less likely to get it. So you have to be really savvy if if you're not... Um, scoring as well as a lot of other candidates who are applying to the top 20, top 30 schools. Like well, they're in a much better position to do well, even if they end up paying for law school. And even at a school like University of San Diego and Cal Western, I mean, um, if this correspondent gets a full ride there, then okay, that seriously lowers the risk of going to law school. But if they end up going to a medium tier law school and paying full price there, the same thing's happening at that school. There are people there who have 10 points higher LSAT score and are a much better bet to compete well for grades. And so those people are going to kick your ass in the grade competition and you're paying their tuition for them. So it just, this is the level of person where I really want to either talk them out of law school or I want them to get a full ride. Yep. Okay. Follow up. I actually did my undergrad at Cal State San Marcos and in northern San Diego County, which I know which which why which is why I know. Yeah, typo I want to number five hundred. 
in this email. Yeah. As an undergrad, I did three different internships, two of which were for law firms, and one of the law firms said when they were putting out ads for the new school year that they wouldn't even interview a legal intern if they were studying at Thomas Jefferson. Okay, granted, this was a few years ago. I graduated in 2013 and came out to the Midwest for family stuff. Anyway, I'm just concerned that the school's reputation will hinder me when I find a job. Uh, what do you have to say to that? Well, this yes. Yes, there are many law firms that are not going to hire anybody. They're not going to even interview anybody from Thomas Jefferson. But there are also law firms that are not going to hire or interview anybody from University of San Diego or Cal Western. I mean, mm-hmm. you, those might be higher ranked schools by U.S. News and World Report, or maybe they're higher ranked schools by the above the law rankings, which we prefer. Uh, but you're still talking about law schools that are not super prestigious law schools. And none of these schools are going to be a shoe in to any kind of a legal job. So you want to look at their career numbers. You want to talk to actual alums who now are practicing lawyers. You want to look at their bar passage rates and you just want to make a smart decision here. Um, This student sounds like, you know, naive kind of the way I was when I went to law school. And I just, I, I just am, this is the one that makes me like lose sleep at night. I, yeah. I, I am, I'm always skeptical of people when they talk about their future legal career. I just think, it, I mean, cause the reality is that like half the people who go to law school don't end up practicing law. Mm-hmm. Ben went to law school, doesn't practice law. I went to law school, don't practice law. <laughs> I know. And we've both been very successful in our own way, but not because of law school. Okay. Let's do a quick survey. All right. How many people here went to law school and didn't end up practicing? <laughs> Wow, every single one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you're going to go to any of these schools that this correspondent is mentioning, it just, it just turns that, that likelihood up even further. And there are exceptions. I know I have a buddy who went to, who went to Cal Western and has his own law firm now in Pasadena, but that's like more the exception than it is the rule. And I would just be very, very cautious if I were you. Mm-hmm. That's depressing. Should we try to find a more optimistic one? Sure. <laughs> Last episode, we had all the 170s in a row. Yeah. This- <laughs> and now today <laughs> we get all these ones where it's like, hmm. Um, okay. Next one. Yeah. Hi, Nathan. Oh, I guess this one just came to me. Anyway, I'm currently studying for the September LSAT and have been listening to the Thinking LSAT podcast, which is a big help. I have been inconsistently studying since May, but now I am buckling down and studying consistently. Since I have passed the recommended three-month focused study period, I am trying to be efficient with the time I have left. Okay, that's not a thing. Nope. This is the passive voice here. We have the recommended three-month focus study group period. We don't know who is doing this recommendation. Do you think this 
this correspondent is listening to our episodes in which we say, hey, you might need two to three months to prepare. That's what most people need. And yeah. they're saying, oh, that's the recommended time. Well, or it's like the company that shall not be named. Mm. And they're like, hey, don't study before the class. And then it's going to be a crazily intense three-month thing. Yeah. Because I've heard people, too, I've heard people refer to, like, the intense, like, the recommended intense study period, where mm-hmm. I think both, we, we're both like, mm, you don't necessarily need, it doesn't ever need to be all that intense if you just kind of chip away at it. Mm-hmm. Start now, do a little bit every day. You'll be making progress. You know, <laughs> people instead, they're just like, well, I'm going to procrastinate. I'm going to do nothing. Mm-hmm. And then later, I'm going to do three intense months. Yeah, yeah. sure you are. Um, anyway, I don't, I don't ever recommend a three month focused study period. And some people take less, some people take more. I would just say, do a little bit every day and see how far you get. Anyway, when I took a timed diagnostic test, I missed only one question on the logic games and had seven minutes left in the section. I did this without any formal diagramming. So my question is, are there any instances where you would not recommend for a student to diagram the games? I'm self-studying and wondering if it is worth it to learn a new method of dealing with these problems if I was able to figure them out well without diagramming. Or should I not put so much weight on the results from one diagnostic? (laughs) Have you taught students with similar results who benefited from diagramming? Um, Yeah. So what are we going to say there? Um, More data needed. Yeah, more data needed. And also, like, what does this person mean by formal diagramming? Right. Because maybe they're writing things down and they think that diagramming is some sort of complicated, like, matrix of data. And in reality, it's just taking note of what's been said. And so it's an e- so it's easy to visualize. And maybe they're doing something along those lines and they're actually closer to what we're doing or they're doing something close to what we're doing already, they just don't realize it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, nothing that I do is ever very formal. I mean, yeah. the games to me are really very improvisational, and I'm totally willing to come up with a brand new type of diagram on the fly. I, I did that with, uh, man, you know that hotel game, the, uh, mm-hmm. the, property, oh, the property company game? We've probably mm-hmm. talked about that on the show before. Um, that's such an easy game. If you see like the wealth equivalent factor of that game Mm -hmm. and there's no formal diagram that allowed me to arrive at that realization. It was just kind of write stuff down and just make a system and just figure it out. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's, you know, I'm, I'm not. I know that the big prep companies have all their categories and all of their like, you know, um, semantics and, mm-hmm. and everything, but that's not the way I really think about it. I'm, I'm more like, Hey, we got tons and tons of these games. Let's work our way through them and just see if common patterns or common tricks emerge, but it's not like formal. Oh, this is this type of game and we have to do this type of strategy. Not, not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> uh, definitely don't put so much weight on the results of one diagnostic test. Um, definitely do more. If you turn out, if, if you just hammer perfect after perfect after perfect on all of your 
logic games that you ever do, then yeah, I, I wouldn't, why fix it if it's not broke? Yeah. On the other hand, if you have a couple glitches along the way in your time to practice, then yeah, I mean, maybe you need to learn, actually learn some stuff. I missed 12 questions on reading comprehension on my diagnostics, so I'm wondering if I should devote more of my time to improving in that area. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Work on your weaknesses um, and try to turn them into strengths. So, yeah, more time on reading comp. Uh, thank you, Jamie. Cool. Yeah, cool. Do you have time for one more? I do. Oh, dear. This is a wall of text. Oh, no. Holy smokes, man. Is it worth it? Should we skip it? (sighs) Try to read it really fast. No, I don't know. Skip it. Skip it. Yep. I'm sorry. This has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven paragraphs. And these are not normal paragraphs. These are LSAT reading comprehension paragraphs Yeah, times two. Yeah. This is Patrick. Patrick studies mechanical engineering and mathematics and has good grades and has all sorts of data here, but we do not have time uh, today or ever. So uh, I noticed in the last paragraph, again, yeah, I, I apologize the for the length of this email. Brevity is not always my strongest suit, but hopefully that will change with a legal education. Um, well, maybe if you go to John Roberts. But you're not getting yeah. into John Roberts with a wall of text like this. So, uh, Patrick, we would love to hear back from you again. Uh, please boil down your email to about 10% as long and give us data points and actual questions, and we will be happy to respond. But otherwise, we're going to have to move on to this next email. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. Um Thank you very much for your podcast. I've found it both entertaining and informative as I make key decisions in the law school application and selection process. I scored a 170 on my June LSAT. Wow, nice work. Which was not surprising given that my final eight practice tests leading up to the exam were all in the 168 to 174 range. This person knows what they're talking about. Graduating from UT Austin in May of 2018 with a likely 3.65 LSAT GPA. Oh, interesting. It's a 3.78 UT Austin GPA, so it's going to go down. With dual majors in economics and history and a minor in finance, I feel good about my overall academic record, particularly because I will complete my undergrad in only three years. That said, I have some questions pertaining to my law school applications. One, my LSAC GPA is considerably lower than my UT Austin GPA because I took the equivalent of two semesters of Spanish over one summer at a community college to fulfill a foreign language requirement and got two C's with minimal effort. Okay. At the time, I did not know the grades I received in, a, in community college Spanish would eventually count against me in the law school application process. When I apply to law schools, is that a valid excuse? Oof. To explain in an addendum to my application, I had no, had I known community college Spanish would end up being so important for law school applications, I definitely would have worked to earn higher grades. That, that does not sound like a good excuse. That is like that, the Um, red flag, I mean, the, the red siren, (laughs) loud warning sign is going off for me. 
and I, maybe I just been spending too much time on the coast and I'm just like too much of a tuned in academic liberal type, but mm. man, I can see people hating that. I can see people in the, on the admissions committees, just hating what he just said. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I guess I, I think I know what you're saying. I my two concerns are the fact that it's it's a Spanish class, and the second is the fact that I mean, it just sends a message that you don't do anything unless you feel like you're going to get some that, reward that, for at, it. At the very least, it's like, oh, that's the only reason why you get good grades is because it's going to count for something. So you're you're mm-hmm. not you're not studying just for the love of learning, then, huh? You're you're taking yeah. these classes over the summer at a community college to fulfill a foreign language requirement. Oh, so you have no interest in actually learning that foreign language. By the way, you're in Texas and it's Spanish. You have no interest in learning Spanish. Um, yeah. I mean, I suck at Spanish and I, I, I wish I knew it, but I, I never was ever able to actually learn it. And so I'm not like actually judging here, but I can just see somebody who, especially people who do speak Spanish, <laughs> I can see people just hating this guy for this. And the next sentence says he plans to apply to UT Austin for right. high school. So I think you, I would not even, I don't think I would even mention it. I would just suck it up and take your 3.6 or whatever it is, LSAT GPA. It's not that bad. Get a really good LSAT score, which you already have. And no, do not bring, I would not bring this up. It makes you look immature slash racist. I mean, I know you're not, but people will read it that way. Some people will read it that way. I wonder if there's any other reason he or she, who is this? Anonymous. Might not have done so well. Um, maybe, maybe they were really busy that summer. I mean. Yeah, make something up and, and lie about <laughs> it. I'm not, I'm not saying to make something up necessarily. I mean, a lot of times we do poorly For not only because reasons. we're not interested, but because we also have yeah. Other don't bring going up on. focus on the other. Don't bring reasons. up the fact that you didn't try. Um, yeah. Say you were working. You were working, right? Or yeah, you were sick, right? Or yeah, you were doing something else that summer, right? Um, but don't say, "Had I known it would end up being so important for law school applications, I would have worked hi- harder and got a higher grade." Do not do don't do that. Okay. Yeah. Two. I plan to apply to UT Austin for law school and will be happy if I get accepted. Is there a good chance that they'll give me give more weight to my UT, UT GPA since I un- attended undergrad there? Or will they mainly consider my LSAC GPA like any other school? Uh, they will mainly consider your your LSAC GPA because they have to compare apples to apples. But I think the fact that your UT Austin GPA is higher will could help some reviewers feel better about your GPA on a subjective soft Yeah, they want level. to prefer legacy type people or i don't know if that's the right word but anyway um undergrad alums i'm sure they love to admit undergrad alums into the law school um so they they probably want and they trust i'm sure they trust the undergrad 
uh, at, at UT Austin. Yeah. And they know what it means to be, to go to UT Austin. So they, I don't know that they're going to weight your UT GPA more, but they just have reasons to want to admit you. So I think, you know, yeah, you're a, you're still a strong candidate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this person continues, while I feel pretty good about my chances of getting accepted by UT, my dream schools are Harvard, Columbia, and NYU. Huh. Should I retake the LSAT in September or December for the chance at getting the 174-176? I would probably need to get accepted to one of my dream schools, or do I run the risk of having a bad test day, 166 to 169, which could take some of the luster off of the 170 I already have and potentially jeopardize my chances at my target schools, UT Austin, Georgetown, Cornell, Penn, and George Washington. Thanks again for your podcast and any help you can provide on my questions. No problem. Uh, What do you think? Retake? Um, I'm not going to say no. The range was 168 to 174 and only scored a 170 actual. So we already have scores in the 170 to 174 range. If you kept pre- yeah. if you kept prepping and kept getting better and better at the test, you could bump that up to a range of like one seventy to one seventy six or something. And if you did do that, then yeah. I w- it's a no brainer to retake it. Um, the rich get richer, and <laughs> this is funny because we are like we've in the last couple episodes we've advised like six different people with one seventies to retake it. But um, yeah. if you if your practice test scores indicate you can do better. Uh, yeah, your, your 170 and a 3.6 is like probably not getting you into Harvard and a 176 and a 3.6 also is probably not getting you into Harvard, but it has a much better chance. Uh, it seems like unless the 174 in his original eight practice tests, uh, was an outlier, seems like he already has the scores to justify taking it again. It's really close. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, you'd of course you'd want to take a few more in between now and test day to just be sure. double yeah, of sure. Course. You want to get yeah. back into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but, I have to run, Ben, because I have a student. Sure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can always email us questions at help at thinkinglset.com or go to thinkinglset. Oh, wait, wait, what did I say? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> email us at help at thinkinglset.com or go to thinkinglset.com to check out the blog and post questions there. You can also tweet us at thinkinglset. Um, we're always happy to get your questions. And Yeah, I hope you don't think we're too harsh in some of our advice or especially hope you don't think I'm too harsh in any of my advice. But um, like I said, you've got to get your attorney is going to be the one who's going to break it down for you <laughs> straight in straight terms. And so I'm always going to try to just give you my unvarnished opinion as much as I possibly can. Um, and I, I'm only doing it really with constructive purposes in mind. So, uh, cut me some slack. I'm, I'm doing the best I can over here. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, if, if your attorney tells you, you can win when you definitely can't, they're only serving. Themselves. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Thanks, Ben. Uh, I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See ya.